Welcome to Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. Welcome to Breaking Down Bits. I'm Brian Gendron. What's up? I'm Drew Jordan, and I feel like we've been on a tear recently with some great conversations about comedy with some great comics recently. And thankfully, we get to continue to do that today with uh, uh, kind of a kind of a legend, uh, someone who's been uh, who's been very fun to work with briefly in the past for us here in Houston, and also really fun to watch on on podcast and and on uh, TV and, and stuff in the in the past as well. So uh, we have an exciting one for you today. Absolutely. And uh, we just we just came off the heels of a great discussion with uh, comedian Matt Reif. Of course, you can get that episode on BreakingDownBits.com and anywhere you get your podcast and, of course, YouTube. Uh, what's your callback from our discussion with Matt Reif? Okay, Matt Reif, my thing was it's a really small piece of what we talked about, but because um, we always kind of we get in the conversations talk about how you got to where you where you are in comedy. And I think he pointed out one thing that's super important, and it's not just how you, how you get in comedy, but also just everything in comedy. There's no blueprint, he said. There's no blueprint to how you do this. And I think that's just a good reminder um, because the way that one person is successful is not the way someone else is going to be successful. The way one person runs their business, the way one person um, tells their jokes, writes their jokes. Like there's no blueprint on how you can do this. If you can find your own way, you can find your own audience. And I think that's one of the exciting things about comedy is that you can pave your own path. If you can, if you can make it work, you can do it. Yeah. And I think, you know, that, that was our 48th, I think interview that we've done on this podcast and nobody does it the same way. Right. So that's <laughs> right. Cer certainly testament to that. You know, the one thing that really stood out, to me with Matt. And, and if you've been listening to the show since the beginning, you've kind of watched Drew and I grow up as comedians. We've been doing it for almost two years and here we are doing headlining sets. And so we're able to talk about different types of things. And we did, we talked about pacing a headlining set. And I thought he had a lot of great feedback as far as how you break it up, how, how you design your set list to make sure that you get through some of those dips and maybe the check spots and things that, that come up when you're in your headlining. And so I thought that was really helpful and something worth going back to listen to if you're doing or about to do headlining gigs yeah and one thing that one thing that was gonna be my callback but i didn't want to step on yours yeah. one specific thing you mentioned we were chatting about this when you're doing a longer set um you can get too comfortable in the middle and he talked about how he was telling a story one time and he sits down and it changed his delivery in a way that when he told when he tried it again and stood up his energy was different so sometimes uh, in a longer set, just your posture, your energy, uh, if you get too comfortable, it can it can change the way you deliver the jokes and change the way the audience responds. Yeah. And honestly, that, that doesn't just apply to headlining sets that applies to any any set, you know, stage energy, be mindful of it. Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe what you're going for, maybe it is sit down so you can pick them back up and really hit that that hard punchline. Um, but be mindful of your stage presence and energy. So check check that episode out, breakingdownbits.com. You can also follow us, tag us on social media at Breaking Down Bits. If you have any questions for us, any uh, you know guest requests, those types of things, uh, certainly hit us up on in the DMs. We're gonna get a uh, uh, Chris Rock and Will Smith to work it out next week, hopefully. <laughs> um, so be looking for that one. Yeah, keep your eye out for that. I'd love if we got Chris Rock. All right, man, you ready to bring in our uh, our guest? Yeah, let's do it. Mike Vecchione is an Italian-American comedian and actor living in New York. He's performed on The Tonight Show, Comedy Central, NBC's Last Comic Standing, and in the movie The King of Staten Island. Mike headlines all across America as well as internationally. He has a podcast called Mike Vecchione Investigates, and he's recording his next special in April of 2022, produced by Nate Bargatze. Mike Fecchione, how are you, man? Thanks, guys. That was very nice. Yeah, thanks so much. Glad to have you on the podcast, man. It was great meeting you uh, a couple months back. You popped in and did some time. Um, yeah, it was fun. Your club was great. 
Thanks so much, man. It was it was just fun to get to meet you. I think I first saw you on, um, I guess now it's the the podcast is Mike Vecchione investigates, but yeah. previously was it was it Bad Cop Bad Cop? It was, was no disrespect, and uh, Bad Cop no. Bad Cop was a segment we did, yeah, with all the comics. The Bad Cop Bad Cop thing, I think, was the very first thing I ever saw from you, and I thought yeah. it was so hilarious. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I don't. I, that that was my first thing, and I've I've loved everything you put out. So hey, just an honor to get to chat with you today. Thanks, Drew. Thanks, Brian. Cool. So the first thing we'll we'll do, Mike, is get a little bit of understanding of your career, man. Uh, how'd you get started into this whole stand up gig? Uh, I was in Philadelphia. Uh, I was um, living with a girl. We were engaged. Um, I we broke up, and then I just. I was teaching at the time and in school for uh, my master's. And I just started uh, hitting open mics really is when I it's started hitting open mics, October of 2000. I took a comedy class before that, but I didn't, I just took the class and I, and I did it once. And then I was like, okay, I'll never probably do this. Cause I didn't have the drive to um, go out and pursue it. You know, real stand-up comedy is like at least getting up every week, like doing it like a practice. So I didn't do that, but I, I, I did take a class, but I actually started doing it once a week in October of 2000. And uh, I started just going to open mics because I was alone. I didn't have anything going on really. So I figured why not try this and just, and, 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 and just keep doing it. I think, yeah, most people, I was, there's some bit I heard recently. It's like, you know, when you, you people only turn to religion at their rock bottom, you went to, you got, you got in a rough spot and turned to comedy. So that's interesting. Yeah. I think people do that a lot. I think it's, it's, there's a thing that happens where it's like, Oh, at least for me, it was like, Oh, it doesn't matter if I fail, like who cares? Like right. it doesn't matter. So I just, with that reduced fear of failure, I just kept going up because I wasn't funny right off the start. I just, I had to work and uh, I would make small progresses every week. And I thought to myself, it's like, oh, I'll never, I'm never going to actually do this. But um, it is helping me with public speaking, and maybe that could pay off in teaching. I was getting my master's in education at night. I already had a bachelor's in criminal justice. So I was like, oh, this could help me down the road somewhere, develop in, as, as a skill in some way. So I just kept doing it. But I had no ambition of doing it, like, professionally. Oh, so when did, so when did the gears kind of change and that become – a little more of a passion and when, when did, when did you start kind of uh, make, getting some success or, or something that helped push you to like becoming more of a, an, a comic? Well, I think what happens is at least before all the social media, it was the advice I got from guys up here was, um, you know, when you start, when you start being the best guy at your club and you start being the best guy in the open mic scene and you you're hosting at your home club and featuring a little bit, it's time to leave. Don't stay there because it's going to be harder. Like once you, the, the whole path was to move to New York or LA. Mm -hmm. And, um, and in order to do that, you don't want to be doing comedy like 10 or 15 years, because when you come to New York or LA, you're going to get treated like a nobody anyway, because no one knows or cares about you. So <laughs> it's good to get your little experience in, in your home club. And then as soon as you have an act, as soon as you've honed it and you're, you've gone the farthest you can go in your home club, the path is to leave and go to New York or L.A. And, and, and basically you're going to have to start over. But it's OK because you're only three, three and a half. I was only three and a half years in. So it's like I had a little bit of an act, but it's it's OK to start over. I didn't have anything anyway. So, yeah. But for somebody who comes up with like credits and years in and and then they're getting put to the bottom of the bar, it's it's upsetting, you know. Mm -hmm. So you made the you made the jump to New York about four was, years in. I was unhappy with my job and uh, teaching, so I decided not to, after the school year was over. I decided not to return, and uh, so I was just kind of knocking around Philly, like still going to the clubs and 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 stuff, and um, and uh, and then a friend of mine, uh, Joe DeRosa, who's a comic up here, very funny. He came, he was already living up here and he came back and he's like, what are you doing? I go, what do you mean? He goes, what are you doing? Just get your stuff and move, just move. And I go, yeah, but I, I don't know. Like, could I still like, could I just come up there every weekend from here? He's like, what do you, 
what are you clinging to here? What are you clinging to? And I thought about it. I'm like, I'm not clinging to it. He's like, you'll figure it out. He's like, you'll figure it out. Worst case scenario, you'll be in New York and you'll have to find a day job in New York. It's like, what's the difference between finding a day job? I was living by myself in a, a, a little apartment. Like, what's the difference between doing that in Philly and doing that in New York? And it, it just clicked. It kind of made sense to me. I was like, what am I doing? It's like, you got to take these calculated risks in life. You know what I mean? It's like the worst case scenario, I'll bail, I'll fall out of the bottom and I'll just have to get a job and I'll get a job in New York and I'll stay there for a while. Yeah. And what, and how I didn't have a wife and kid, like there wasn't like, I wasn't, I didn't have a wife and kids. I didn't have a more, like I didn't have all these things. So the way that he simplified it for me, it was kind of like, you have, you're having these unrealistic fears. It's like, get, get your stuff together, take a chance. Yeah. And you were doing it. Obviously we just talked to Matt Reif, this guy who started comedy at 15 years old, his wow. mom driving him to a comedy club once a week and you're doing it after you've already started your professional career as an right. adult. Like how old were you when you, when you first started comedy? 28. Okay. So still pretty young, Yeah, but, but not, not 15. Um, no, 15. That's great. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I look back. You always think and, that, but then it's like some of those guys just burn out early and like, you know, you know, it's like, you never can tell, you know what I mean? It's like, I know guys like that in other things, like in wrestling guys who were like, phenomenal and just burnt they just burnt out and they were never great on, on a collegiate or international level which I, you predict that you're like oh this guy started so early he's going to be phenomenal it's like now nah, he burned out or yeah. whatever something mr happened. mr peaked in high school yeah you've also you've also been able to establish some identity too when you're 14 you don't really know who you are you right. know but, but, right. but you've, you haven't gone through you know failed relationship or a broken relationship and going through school and all that stuff you've been able to build your character a little bit. Uh, and that gives you a little head start, I think. Yeah, yeah I think that's true. Life experience. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know how much it's valued now, but it, it definitely, it makes a difference. So you get to New York and you, you kind of feel that, that start over what, what, uh, bumps along the way, um, once again, kind of got you to the success. What are the success, uh, success points along the way that got you to where you're at now? Well, it's like, uh, first of all, it's a long, super long haul, much like any other field. It's a long haul and the, and every, and it's changed over the years, mm -hmm. but the whole advice I got, and I guess it's still true today is, um, right. Uh, get in the clubs and just keep come, come out every night, be around, be around. Mm -hmm. used to be very important. Get people to get, the, it's a scene here in New York. It's every, every city has their scene. I'm sure Houston, uh, you know, other cities have their scene. And New York has its scene and it's, it's a tight scene. It's a tight knit scene. So it's like immerse yourself in the scene, get to know everybody because that's really, and I think to a large extent today, but more so back then before technology, that's how you would make connections with people. And then, and then uh, people would see, they go, oh, this guy's fine. I mean, and people would pull you into stuff. I mean, that's how I get work now. It's like people, I just know, I just know a lot of people and, people will pull me into stuff. Oh, come do this or do this. You know, you might be right for that. Like people, that's how, but you don't get that by being an outsider. You have to immerse yourself in the scene. So um, the, also the other advice I got is if you have to get a day job or something, get something that doesn't kill your energy. It doesn't, mm -hmm. it's not an energy suck so that you can do it and that you could still come out at night and devote all of your energy to performing, being around, hanging out, writing, revising just generally getting better so that's the advice that i got like you know it's like anything else it's like the more you do it and the more you uh take an honest approach to it the better you're going to be i yeah, think that all, all those things are still true today what was the uh the day job that you got that was uh didn't drain your energy if you recall well i had a master's i have a master's in special education when i got out of philly and um, I called, I was looking around for uh, jobs and I, I called this, um, um, this organization out of Queens that um, helped kids who were like three to five years old who would like tantrum, tantrum and uh, had emotional and behavioral problems. And you would work with them one-on-one -on -one, either in the school or in their home. And I had worked with classrooms full of 18 year olds with that. So it's like, and I worked in behavioral schools. So that was like, I mean, a pleasure. 
it was great because they're little kids, first of all. And I didn't know if I was going to like it, but you could re- like, first of all, they really were them up. If, they, if they were out of line, you could really take it to them, right? <laughs> they were easier to handle, like easier to handle, but also they're moldable. They were so moldable. I got to work with kids for like a year and or eight months or something. And I could see the progress. It's like, I, this is un- I was unbelievable. It was like, Felt very rewarding. And, and and if I wouldn't have started headlining, I would have just kept doing that job. Like it, it was really a great job to have. Plus, it took me all over New York. Like I lived uptown, almost in the Bronx and um, Washington Heights area. But I I um, dealt with uh, like Russian kids, a kid from immigrant Russia, Indian, um, African-American from Harlem, like all types of different like kids and backgrounds with with these issues. And it was just all fantastic. I mean, really, I can't speak. It, one of the best jobs I've ever had. Yeah, I think one of the one of the best things working with people, I think, is when you can see that progress. Right. Uh, I my most of my career path has been in radio, and I think sometimes when I get to work with talent that's a little rough around the edges, and you see that progress, there's something super rewarding about yeah. that. Or maybe in comedy, you know, you, someone takes takes you under their wing and, and helps you, and and that's yeah, super rewarding to see someone make a transformation in, in right. any way like that. That's super cool. It was really cool. And I could, I could basically make my own schedule also. So I made my own schedule. I was making some money while, cause I was, by the time I moved up here, I was 31. So it's mm-hmm. like when you're 19 and you don't have any money, it's kind of charming and whatever, but we're not when you're 31. So <laughs> you have some money in your pocket. So I put money in my pocket and I was very appreciative and I had a great boss. My boss was really understanding and really helped me. And, um, it was just a great experience. So I did that and I lived with roommates. I lived with roommates for a long, long, long up to last year. I mean, I didn't have to before last year, I lived with, uh, Dan Soder for 10 years and we just, uh, and Dan's wildly successful comic. So it just was a thing of, um, uh, he was one of my best friends and, um, it just worked out convenience wise like we were next we were both on the road living next to an, the airport at LaGuardia in Astoria Queens and I just loved living with them it was the best so before the pandemic but um, yeah. I lived with roommates and I had all the typical New York problems rats bed bugs I mean bed bugs was brutal but um I had all these issues and uh, I've only I've only lived in like um this is my third place I've lived in New York in 18 years. Oh, wow. So you locked down. So yeah. what was the, what was your, you've done a lot of late night and a lot of TV stuff. Right. Uh, like last comic and, um, and tonight show Conan, what was your experience or what uh, were the connections that took place for you to, to snag some of those, those great uh, kind of publicity kind of good moves for your publicity. Um, last comic, I can't remember. I can't remember how those things came about. All I do remember generally is um, being in the mix, always being in the mix and always being in the clubs, like yeah. in the mix, in the clubs. Cause I, I got in the clubs. I got in the clubs first. I think I got in the clubs right when I got like a live at Gotham, which is like the first TV I did, but I got into the um, comedy cellar and the stand when it opened and um, the comic strip, I got into some of these clubs so um, I was always just around. And then when they would do showcases, whether it was an agent that I had at the time or a manager or um, somebody at the club, they would pull me in or somebody would pull me in to like get on the showcase. Nice. And, and then I would, you know, focus on the showcase. And then that's how I would get those those spots. Nice. So you had a so at what point I know there's, there's something as you start getting a little success, you start wondering, when do I need a manager. We've talked to a few comics about this. Any any thoughts on at what point do you does a manager make sense for for a comic? I don't know anymore the answer to that. I really don't because of everything's changed with social media. I don't know if you need a, a, a quote unquote manager. You might need somebody to manage your dates that you already have. But as far as like pushing for, I, I don't know. Probably like an agent does that. Like industry like pushing to get you stuff I, I don't know but i think it just depends how hot you are and um you know social media is a big big part of that so yeah I guess I, 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 the, the point i wanted to make is uh 
it really comes in waves. Like the whole, like I had, um, I got like live at Gotham at two, in 2008 and uh, I had some other stuff. And then I thought I was going to get a half hour, but I didn't. I thought I was going to get Montreal, but I didn't. And then um, the next year in 2009, because that's the natural, there was a natural progression of things. Things are pretty eclectic now. It's like you could be nobody and then have 4 million TikTok followers and be selling out clubs. That w- didn't used to be the case. That's relatively new. Yeah. So I can't speak to that. But what I can speak to is like, so 2009 and then 2010, I had a great year. I had uh, a last comic standing. I got Montreal. I did a half hour for Comedy Central that came out in 2011. I, I got a bunch of stuff. And then 2011, I did some more, a little bit more stuff there. And then, and then like, I would get a Conan here and there, but I, I, nothing. I, I thought, oh, I would be, first of all, once I thought I got into these road clubs, I was like, oh, I'll just, if nothing else, even if I don't get any more TV, I'll be in this road club circuit. That's not the way it works. Mm. The road club circuit doesn't work that way. Mm. They, I got a bunch of stuff off my half hour, a bunch of road work. And then the next year they just book whoever has the next half hours. They don't have <laughs> the guys back. So That's it's right. like, okay. So I didn't realize that. Oh, I thought, wow. I thought, oh, I, at least I have like, you know, it's like you're climbing and it's like, oh, I have a sturdy ledge here. I can always come back to. It's like, oh, that's not the way it works. Oh, wow. That's got to be a bummer when you're like, yeah, you want to, you want to collect to those and, and keep going back to those markets to, right. to grow your following there. Right. And that's the thing. I don't know if it happens anymore. It's like you keep hitting the road to, to build your following. Maybe it does, but it's like, is it more important to do that or is it more important to do your social media and try to earn it through algorithms and that way, you know? And so you can get the followers when you go to these cities. I don't know. It's a question. My point is that it's, it's my friend is a um, engineering guy and he's a very successful, but he, he, everything is like linear like that. It's like a to B to C. It's like, that's not the way this works. It's like, you can, you can have that in your mind, your goals, but you can't, you can't predict you sometimes there's years of lulls of stuff and you're not getting what you think you should be. And then it takes off and then you get a bunch of stuff. It's like, maybe you're just in season. Maybe people like your look, maybe, you know, whatever. And maybe you've fallen out of favor uh, because of whatever reason. Uh, So through no fault of your own. So it just depends. I think one thing we've seen comics helping themselves with is having consistency. So it, maybe it's it's going out and doing that road work, filming all those sets, and then chopping up the video from the set to put on social media. That right. consistency really seems to kind of double down on what, both of what you're saying. Uh, a ton of fucking work. I mean, it's insane how much work that it's is. really but- great. I'm happy for those people. But it's it's a thing where it's like, I'm happy for those people, and I admire the initiative. The only thing is, is like what it, it comes down to a thing of like, what are we actually doing? Is it about your talent and like what you're doing on stage or now is it about marketing? Like I'm not criticizing it. I have to do it too. And I'm doing, I want to be successful that way also, but I'm like, I'm just calling it is what it is. It's like how much of this is like crafting a a joke on working on what that is versus taking the tape, taping everything, cutting it up, putting it on. Like it becomes a marketing thing now and, and an algorithm. You know, which is, I guess, what it is. I think it's, if it's, it's necessary, I guess, you know. But I mean, the other thing is, maybe if, if you jump, you know, if this alleviates gatekeepers, I guess that's good. But then this has its own thing. So, you know, yeah. maybe an efficient way to do that is you're watching your whole set and then you're marking down, not just you're working on the jokes, but also where are the social media. So you're kind of accomplishing both within that same time span, uh, just as a thought, as something you can do to grow. Yeah, we had, I think, I think this whole phenomenon felt like it kind of hit music first. I was in a band for years and that Mm -hmm. was kind of my first entertainment kind of creative um, journey. And we noticed that these bands who would just record these cover songs uh, on YouTube were selling tickets and touring with major acts. And they had, they barely had any song, like when they, the crowd would love them playing all the covers. They play one of their own songs. And you're like, ah. and here I am with the band in the garage, you know, writing songs and putting our money together to go to the, go to the recording studio and try to pump out the stuff and just grinding. And these guys just covering songs on YouTube and getting more, um, more exposure and more success and more opportunity. You kind of go, 
hold on. Yeah. I hope you're doing the work. Right. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You look at it, you're like, what is this really about? But um, I guess it's, you know, and I'm not knocking those people who do that. I'm not, I understand that. It's like, oh, this is the, they see that that's, that's gaining success. And that takes a certain amount of drive and, and um, entrepreneurial, whatever you want to call it. Like mm-hmm. it takes drive to do that and, and follow through. So, but I'm just saying that that's not the same thing as right. writing and, and developing your act. It's, I would say that there's a lot of people, you know, on, on TikTok who are funny on TikTok mm-hmm. that if you put them in front of a live audience for 25 minutes would probably really struggle because that's not what they do. Right. And, and, um, so yeah, I think there's, there's different, it's different skill sets being a stand up and being a TikTok star. Those are two different things. And, and some people can do both well, but they are two different acts. Right. For sure. And there's no safety net, right. In in comedy and you can just roll it. You can run it back. If you don't get that shot, right. You just yeah. run it back. You can't do yeah. that on stage. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's to me, if you want to be a stand up, the only way to do it is to, is to do the no safety net fail, fail yourself into final, finally being successful. Yeah, it's kind of where we started, Mike. You talked about not having that fear of failure. <clears throat> I wonder, is that something, how do you, might be quite, how do you recreate that? Because the first time you got up, that's like the most courageous thing you could do. And then how do you then do that to, uh, you know, it becomes harder to to force yourself to go do that again and try new jokes or write a new five and all that stuff. How do you keep that alive after years and years of doing this? Well, there's different things too. It's like you do five minutes and then you get 20 minutes and then, Within you get good at doing 20 minutes, you get do, good at doing 25 minutes, and then you get good at doing an hour. Like you, 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 and it's still like getting doing an hour. It's like there's ebbs and flows. You have different audiences on the road. You're dealing with different kinds of crowds. Like, and it's very different if the crowd doesn't know you versus the crowd does know you. It's like all those things and um, trying to be uh, focused and authentic the entire time is is a challenge. So those little like those little things. Um, the, you're always working on them. I think you're always working on them. Um, you know, and, and if, if the crowd is not on your side too, I've been in that situation where it's like, you'll go up and, and the crowd is just not with you. And, and it's like, you have, you know, you can see it in the first two minutes. It's like, they're not, I'm going to, they're not here to see what I'm doing. So it's like, now you have to win them back. You have to win them over for the rest of the time, which is the rest of the hour. And it's like, you know, it's a skill set to like calm yourself down and be like, okay, let me just start having some fun with what I'm doing and then they'll buy into it. Or let me just try to bring them into without, without abandoning what you're doing and just going into the crowd. I mean, that's the easy way to, to just like do it as a penalty kill and be like, this crowd's not into me. I'm just going to get some laughs and I'm going to get up out of here. It's like, yeah, you could do that. And that no one would shame you for doing that. You're just, you know, you're, you're doing your obligated time, but why you can always do that why not take the opportunity to sit in the pocket and try to bring them into your into your act instead of going giving it up and going out and just just um letting them win you just bring them into what you're doing and just keep just and it might not be the 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 um greatest set that you've had but it's just the fact that you keep turning them and you keep bringing them and keep there's value in that that's the hardest thing. How I think Brian and I have talked to, we've talked a lot about that, Brian, as you know, there's, it's so strange, you know, how you do your act and, and, and every room's different. Every group people, you get a different response. And sometimes you're going to hit those rooms that aren't feeling it. Right. And we've talked a lot about how do you get people back on your side? What are some things we can do if the crowd's not feeling it? What, I mean, obviously a little bit of crowd work never hurt, but yeah, I, I like that. I, I think I really prefer that kind of strategy of, um, have fun, show them you're having fun and don't do you don't bail on your plan for your set right. completely. Well, the first thing is not to hate them because mm-hmm. it's originally like you find them, you see them just rejecting you. Yeah, like it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vulnerable. You're in a vulnerable place because you're doing your jokes. You came to this city, you flew in, you, you, you went out. So you, you got the mic and you, there's a guy sitting there like this. You know, it's like first. So first of all, don't hate them. And, and, and like, try to like, for me, I'm a like intense, like focused guy. So it's like, oh, you need to loosen up and have some fun and then bring, how bad can it go? 
And if it does, then that'll be a story. It'll, it'll at least be a little, at least we're going to have some fun going down in flames versus having this be a tense, like standoff, like, fuck you. You know what I mean? It's like, like, let's loosen up and let's have some fun and let's see where it can go. But on the crowds being different, the hardest crowd I found is when the crowd is stiff and they don't trust you, but they're quietly just watching you struggle. And then there's one drunk person who's trying to make it about them because you're trying to slam the drunk. You like to slam the drunk person, but no one's on your side because they don't believe you're funny. So it's like this drunk person is making it about them. And these people are just quiet waiting for you to be funny. So yeah. it's like, you're trying to slam this this person is so the easy thing to do is just to go to the person and just be like ah oh, you're pretty hammered and just keep going at them for like cheap like instead of just I had that one time and I just ignored the person and just kept coming at the group with the jokes to win it over and it eventually yeah. I mean it ended up not great but it ended up <laughs> it ended up better than if I I had the personal satisfaction of knowing what was happening. Right. That's the thing. No one. That's the crazy thing, too, is no one else in the room knows. Right. What you're going through. Uh, you what know what? That's not true. Comics in the back. In the back. Yeah. I went in the back. I was like, oh, my God. I mean, I wanted to go like get something to drink. And they were like, hey, dude, I know it doesn't matter what I'm about to say, but they broke it down just that way. They're like, I appreciate that. I go, thank you for thank you for at least acknowledging yeah. that that happened. I just love like the idea of the woods thing. You know what I mean? It's like, no one's <laughs> going to know it, but me, but it's like, no, that's not true. The comics in the back knew it. No, I think that's to me, that's so important. The idea of not abandoning your plan and your set completely, because that feels like the number, like when things go real bad, you just go, oh, I'll just do some crowd work right. and waste out the rest of my time. And, I, and that's giving up a little bit. That's, that's not trying mm -hmm. to pull them into your world. I, I right. think that's, that's a, a really, really good mentality to have. Say, hey, let's let's reset and let's do it. Keep your cool, have fun. Yeah. Don't hate them, which is really don't tough. Them. Don't hate them. Love them and 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 show them. Like they don't know what good comedy is. Like they don't yeah. know. I always do that. They don't know. It's like bring them in with personality, and then I'm gonna hit them with the jokes, and and I'm gonna get them. You know what I mean? And then the satisfaction of that is it's it's a win. It's a big win. Yeah, what? that's great. That's really good advice. That's interesting. And you're, you have an education background. I don't know if this plays into it or not, but sometimes like Drew and I in our room, we have to, people have never been to comedy shows before. We had that a lot early on and now people are starting to come back and they know how to behave. But we have to educate them on how to experience comedy uh, so that our, you know, our, our headliners that come through would have good audiences and that, that becomes a part of it sometimes. Wow. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people who've definitely only seen comedy on Netflix and, right. and they come to the riot. And this is their first experience where uh, whatever they're saying out loud can be heard by other human beings. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, what? That's nuts. I mean, it really <laughs> helps to set the tone. Like um, the, the, uh, a good host will do it and um, we'll just be like, hey, um, you know, uh, there's no or not, not even a good host. Like the God Mike person does the God Mike. The rules of the club are, are known. And the host comes up and reemphasizes it. Like, look, there's no. You get thrown out. Like, we don't want to have an ugly – we want everybody to – frame it positively. You know what I mean? Not like a bunch of – you don't want to start the show with a bunch of threats. But it's like, you know, we're here to have a good time. But you, the good time is you being quiet and letting the comic – unless it's just a crowd work guy who just is going through the crowd, then it's, I guess, whatever, different rules. Yeah, for sure. Well, maybe we should get into a little bit of writing. Um, one thing we always ask is just to open into question, take it wherever you'd like. How does Mike Vecchione write comedy? Um, I used to do it from like a, a place of panic, which is like I would just keep going up every night and I get tired of my jokes and be like, I'm never going to write anything new. I'm never going to write anything new. It's like, what is I got to get some new stuff. What the hell, man? I can't. And then I would just like get a bunch of coffee before my sets and like work new jokes before Twitter, like work new jokes and like go, go with a list and like go and try them. So uh, I did that for a while and then I was like, okay, now I have all these jokes and I, I did my first album that way where it was like very joke. You could see it's very joke based. And then I was like, um, you know, jealous of some of my friends who were like, uh, would, would be able to do great jokes within their personal um, experiences. Like Nate, like Big J on the, on the edgier side, 
Um, Soder's a guy like that. Like these guys who could just organically, I would just get jealous um, of them and be like, how are they, you know, if I, I have good joke writing. So if I apply my joke writing to my personal experience, but how can I, um, how can I in, uh, figure out a practice? I'm a big like practice guy. I'm a disciplined, pretty disciplined guy. So I'm like, what kind of practice can I use in order to bring that out? And so I started journaling. So I started journaling and then making notes. I journal for like, you know, not long, like six pages or four pages, something like in the morning and then just write notes because a thousand funny things happen to you every day. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, we just let them go. You know what I mean? Like we don't, but if you sat down and thought about every like thing that happened, every emotion that you had attached, or even if it didn't happen, what could have happened? Like over the weekend, I was in um, Vancouver and I got food poisoning. And then I had to take a huge flight home. Like that could have been, a, I mean, a, what could have happened? That could have been a nightmare on so many levels. COVID tests, all this, uh, you know, waiting, going through customs. Like, uh, it would it could have been, you know what I mean? So it's like stuff like that that happens to you every day. And you would never know it unless you kept like a journal of it. So I started doing that. And now I've come to a point where um, I'll just get up and I'll just get on it. I'll, I'll make I have a, a the note section of my phone and I'll have my jokes uh, about my personal experiences. But then I'll just go on. I'll look at, I'll look over all of them and then I'll just add to them and I'll keep like adding and writing more. Nice. So it's a combination because just writing a journal is you're leaving out a lot of the hard jokes if you just do that. So it's a combination of like keeping however you do a journal or just keeping conscious of the things that are happening every day. And then also like turning them into jokes, having that process. Everything has to be a process for me. So it's like journaling, just getting the ideas down and then turning them into jokes. And is your journal paper on paper? Yeah, it's this. Nice. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, I think I, I, the morning pages is definitely that kind of exercise stuff was early on, I think really great for me because I do a lot of like bio, biographical stuff from my past and that, that, that process, I remembered a lot of things that I didn't remember previously when I, when I started writing out those memories and those experiences more kept flooding in Right. the more that I wrote. And that yeah, was super great super helpful for me. Um, so as you, as you write, okay, you're, that's your writing kind of style. What about preparing for a set? You know, let's say you have a, a, a big set coming up, you know, set list stuff. Do you follow a set list on stage? And, and what do you do those last seconds before you step on stage? Do you have any, since you're a disciplined guy, do you have any sort of ritual kind of like step-by-step -step things that you always do? Yeah, well, um, a five-minute late night is different than an hour. Um, an hour, it's like you kind of have to navigate. Like, you still have the chunk. It's kind of – it's similar, but it's like you have to have the chunks. And I'll let you know after how this goes. But um, you have to have the chunks of – I'm getting ready for one now. But um, have the chunks and um, and be able to navigate from one thing to another. Um, but a, a five-minute set, just you just have to have the jokes. You just have to have them. And then um, – and then the mindset is in the mindset for an hour. Also, I feel like for me, for me, the best thing for me is to like have it, have it down, like keep working it. Like I'm going to work it. I worked it in Vancouver. I'll work in Houston and see what you guys think. I'll get your feedback and then that go to Cleveland and then I'll go and do it. And it's like um, the mindset is I already put the work in. It's like training for an event. It's like training for a marathon. It's like I put the work in. And now I'm just going to, now that it's, it's here, I'm just going to have fun. Yeah. The work is already done. So now it's about being loose and executing it. Yeah. No. So, and that's the same thing with a late night set with a late night set, like that pressure is ratcheted up because you're behind the drape and then the host calls you out and you go out and, and you're on, but, and it's a kind of a daunting feeling. Sometimes you have waves of anxiety that comes over you while you're waiting to go on and stuff. So, but when you get out there, it's like, it's just, if you just have the mindset, it's like, look, you're these people, this is set up for you to win. Mm -hmm. It's actually, I, I did a, um, I did the last, uh, first thing I tried, I did with Jay Leno. And I actually, I was sitting out, I was doing the walkthrough and he was 
start talking to me and he goes, this is all set up for you to win. He's like, you'll never have a better set. These people are here for you to win and we'll hype it up and you're going to do great. And, and if there's something that goes wrong, we'll cut it. It's no big deal. Like, yeah. don't get in your head about it. He's like, you're the clubs every night. And, and he was right. And that put me at ease. And it's like, oh, that you're, you don't have to win. You don't have to like, it's not like that, you're that club where the guy's sitting like this and you have 50 minutes to try to get, it. it's like, it's not like that. It's just, they're there for you to win. You just relax into it and have a good time and it'll show like the thing is if you're having a good time it will show it will come across on television that you're having a good time yeah i think what what you said earlier it's so important for you to have a good time for the audience to have a good time they see you having a good time they're like i don't want to be over here not having a good time there's a guy on stage having a good time let's let's i want to have a good time too right I think that's, yeah, really so that's important. The, I mean, but everybody's different. Like some, maybe some people are too relaxed. Maybe or some people are the other way. It's like, I'm, but I'm like a type A, you know, whatever anxiety guy. So it's like the best thing for me is to like deflate some of the pressure from it and go, this is just, it's, it's going to, it's, let's have some fun. Let's just go out and have some fun. Now you put the work in now let's go out and be loose and have some fun with it. Yeah. You know, it's like self-talk. Mm-hmm. So do you have anything like last second before you step on stage for a regular, you know, road gig? Do you have a, a set thing or any little, any little process before you step on stage to get your head right? No, I do a breathing practice every day, but that's more for like health stuff, but it can also help in the moment, like right before you go up, like a cup, like some deep breaths before you go up or before you go on to like a late night set. Sure. Uh, yeah, that always, that always helps. Yeah, for sure. I I think, think, but mostly the mindset of this is, come on, this is supposed to be fun because you can work things up in your mind, whether it's a headlining set and you just started headlining or it's a late night set. It's like you can work things up into your mind to be like, this is huge. This is important. You better not fail. And it's like, oh, this is all like, it's all mental steps anyway. So it's like, just relax and have fun. Like we're telling, we're telling dick and fark jokes here. How, how worked up do we really need to go? Yeah, I mean, this is not, this is not brain surgery. (laughs) So we're going to go ahead and and roll a clip, Mike. I think this is the first, if I'm not mistaken, this is your last Fallon, which I believe was the first one that after coming back from the pandemic that they ran for comedy. Okay, cool. So tell us a little about that day. Was anything unique? I know you've done a lot of late night. Do you remember anything specifically about that one? Well, I, um, it was hard to run the set kind of because uh, there weren't many places open at the time. But um, I uh, did run in a few places that, that let me up outside. And um, uh, New York Comedy Club was very good about it because they had an outdoor room. The Stand had an outdoor room. And um, Three Monkeys, which was Sheba Mason, I want to give her a shot because they have they had all these outdoor outdoor rooms and they let me run it a bunch and it really helped me with the set so i was prepared as i could be for it and um there was no um there was uh i forget what the um limited audience you know so it was like you know all this stuff different stuff but like what really helped was fallon came by and he's like look and he goes if a joke doesn't hit just take it again it's like we will we'll that always makes me feel so much better to be like, like, don't worry about it. Like, it's all like, it's not sh- live to air. It's like, right, whatever. So that always makes me feel better. So, um, and did plus, you ever have to do that? Did you ever re- rerun a joke on any of your late night sets or redo something? I haven't, but I stuttered on something that I think they cut. I, I, they cut I know they cut it because it didn't, I didn't see it, but uh, I, I took a word over. Or yeah. something, you know what I mean? Like I took a yeah. word over, so they cut it. But um, yeah, it was great. And he does a great thing where uh, before you go out and the camera's off, when they're at commercial, he talks to the audience. And he does a very, it's a very solid and unselfish thing where he talks to the audience and then pre- prepares them um, that a comic's going to come out and um, and let's be nice to him, let's be good to him. You know, he just. It, especially coming from him to the audience, it's like very meaningful and it sets the table for you to have a great set. I love to record that and play it before our shows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a quick um, a quick message from Jimmy Fallon. Please yeah. look to the screen. <laughs> Be nice. Be nice. Uh, okay, let's go ahead and enroll the clip. I've been going to the gym and um, there's a lot of paperwork at the gym now. I go there, the guy gives me like 10 forms. 
I go, yeah, I'm not trying to purchase the gym. I'm just trying to get a workout. He goes, we're trying to determine whether you're healthy enough to be at the gym. I'm like, hey, buddy, let me save you some trouble. I'm not healthy enough to be at the gym. If I was healthy enough to be at the gym, I wouldn't be at the gym, okay? I'd be at home eating donuts. I'm trying to keep up with my mental health. I'm doing affirmations, and the affirmation I do is millionaire mindset. Every morning, I sit on the couch, I close my eyes, and I repeat the phrase, I am a very powerful millionaire. I am a very powerful millionaire. Hey, guys, I'm a very powerful millionaire. Girlfriend walks out, shakes me, interrupts my, my mindset, you know? And she goes, uh, you left the dishes in the sink last night. Is that what we're doing? Leaving the dishes in the sink? I turn to her, I'm like, do you know who you're talking to? I am a very powerful millionaire. You can't talk to a very powerful millionaire that way. But later I found out she had been doing a billionaire mindset. <laughs> but arguments can escalate in quarantine. They really can. For example, my girlfriend is from Indiana. And did you guys know that people from Indiana do not like to be called hillbillies? <laughs> yeah, that is a slur. The politically correct term is farm-to-table. The farm-to-tables don't like it when you call them hillbillies. It gets their overalls in a twist. So the argument, it's escalating. She goes, you're always mad at me. That's the problem. I go, I don't think that's true. She goes, it is. And to prove it, I'm going to start a log. Every time you get mad at me, I'm going to write it down in the log. I was like, look, no disrespect, but you have a tendency to overreact sometimes, so I would like access to the log. She goes, no, you will not have access to the log. I go, well, then I'm going to start my own log. Every time you deny me access to your log, I'm going to write it down in my log. And that was the last argument we had. We don't argue anymore because it's too much paperwork. I figure if I want to do that much paperwork, I'd go to the gym. <laughs> nice way to tie that one back together with you. That was so good. I forgot those jokes, but um, yeah, that was great. I noticed that, that in that performance. Experience. That really was a great experience. Yeah, I noticed in that performance, I, I don't know if um, um, your your tone has shifted since then. I feel like you, I see a lot more of your jokes being a little more serious and you, you hold a tighter, more serious kind of approach to a lot of your jokes right. now. Is that something that has changed or... Is that, or do you kind of go in and out of that? I go in and out. I go in and out. But um, yeah, I, I like to hold it, especially if the crowd's getting that. I like that dry, like sarcasm type of thing. Yeah. But um, yeah, if the crowd doesn't get it, I like to it also, like, I have to remind myself to loosen up and be more playful. And right. I'm conscious of it on those sets. It's like, smile, be playful. You know, it's, it's, it's better overall. Yeah, I think you had a very playful kind of feel on that set for certain. And uh, the billionaire mindset, that's <laughs> what a nice unexpected turn to, uh, to stack her up on one, one level above you right. on that one. <laughs> billionaire mindset, nothing can beat it. <laughs> yeah, hundred billion, I don't know, Bezos mindset or something. <laughs> the, you're, you've got this trademark uh, dry sarcasm that I like. I also like you, you do the thing where you, you know, do you guys know? And you draw them in. People like to kind of, as far as a setup goes, they like to hear facts. Right. And so you draw them in and then you, you turn it on them, uh, talking about how people from Indiana uh, don't like to be called hillbillies and stuff. So <laughs> those are all great techniques on setup. Thanks, man. One, one thing that we I saw you saw you do, and and I'll not to step on the joke or share it if it's something that is newer that's going to be on your taping, but you do a really good job of uniting the crowd especially uh, in the joke about how everyone here looks good. The, ugl the uglies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're all good looking. Yeah. I, yeah. It's a good pandemic joke. Yeah. I'm going to do that on the, um, the special, but yeah, that's a really good, um, it's all of us to get, because people are skeptical. They think you're being mean spirited, yeah. but when they realize it's like, we're, it's just us. It's just all of us together talking about all of them out there. That, yeah. 
That has stayed with me. Drew and I both saw that live when you were in Houston with Louie. I remember that. And that, that stuck with me ever since because it is this idea that you want to unify the crowd, get them all on your side, all be in this together. And, and that, that's the ultimate goal. And, and your joke, that, that joke that Drew's talking about just is, is, the, is the shining example of that. Yeah, it's great. It's great when they're together and then they realize because they don't really know what you're doing at first. They think that oh, this guy being mean, mean, yeah, think you're being mean. It's like, no, no, no. I'm being like, it's all of us. We're all in this together. You know? <laughs> then you have, you, have, you have permission to be mean. You yeah. can say whatever you want at right. that point. They're not going to hear us out there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that's I think that's genius. And definitely like we try so hard to unify the crowd, to be one organism, to 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 you know, celebrate, you know, and, and kind of work right. together and that, that without yeah. pandering to them. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. <laughs> like, you don't want to pander to them because yeah. they can, they can sense that they could see it. It's like, you just want to stay within yourself, but then bring them in because you're leading it. You know what I mean? Like you'll have the mic, you're leading it. So it's like, they want to be led, bring them into, bring them into you instead of like giving it out to them. Pandering yeah. To yeah, I think that goes back to your your strategy of working with a stiff room is, you know, have fun and don't hate them and get back to your material. Work it. Get back to your set. Don't don't uh, give up on your plan and your set for this thing, because, yeah, you you, you want to draw them in draw to them what in. you're doing. Right. I love yeah. that. So we have one last segment that we do. It's a little strange, but uh, bear with me for this quick graphic. All right. Very weird. Sorry, Mike. We do it to everybody. Uh, <laughs> so it's called last laugh. And the idea is uh, what is the joke that you want to be remembered by? It can be yours. It can be one of your comedy heroes. doesn't matter. What's the joke you want on your tombstone for your last laugh? Um, I think a joke on a tombstone is uh, number one, it's got to be short because no one wants to like, you know, and it's got to, I think it, it's good if it applies. I don't know if somebody already has this idea or whatever, but um it's got to apply to the situation that's happening at the moment. So I think it's funny if you have uh, just have uh, on your name and then your uh, birth date, your death date, and then uh, no loitering. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it moving. Keep it moving. Yeah, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to rest here. Get it out. <laughs> Uh, that's great let's keep it moving man we we really appreciate you joining us of course we've got you coming to houston we'll get this thing to drop so that we've got four shows coming up to work with you and you got the album come up uh the the special recording so many cool things happen in your world thanks for taking the time to join us how do people find you uh social media on the internet um at comic mike v on all social media platforms um so at comic mike v and uh, mike vecchione investigates uh, anywhere you get podcasts. And also I have a new podcast called the macaroni rascals with my friend, Greg stone. And uh, so those two podcasts and uh, at comic Mike V I put as much content as I can up there. And I- I'm really looking forward to uh, coming to Houston. So I'll see oh, you guys on Friday. We're going to have a great time. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks Mike for joining. Bye Brian. Bye Drew. Thanks so much, man. Thanks man. Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website BreakingDownBits.com or shoot us an email at BreakingDownBits at gmail.com.